Welcome to the Youth Voices of the Six, a podcast made by youth, for youth, and everyone in between. Powered by Toronto Team L and M of Pivot Canada. My name is Sigrika. I'm Kristen. And I'm Gary. We'd like to begin with the line acknowledgement. The Land Acknowledgements Act as an important step to reconciliation, to recognize that many of us today are on unceded territories that continue to be colonized by settlers. By taking the time to acknowledge the land on which we reside, it allows for Indigenous presence to be recognized. Furthermore, these acknowledgements offer space to give thanks and respect to the land as she is a mother to all living things. By making the statement, we declare our awareness of who we are and where we are on this land, while holding accountability for our actions or inactions as non-Indigenous folks. There are many things we can do to support Indigenous communities, including listening to Indigenous storytellers, researching their history, building relationships with Indigenous communities, and asking how you can help with the reconciliation. We acknowledge that our work takes place in unceded lands and traditional territories and strives to honour the land on which we work, study, and gather. The land I'm standing on today, also known as Tukaranto, is located on the treaty lands and territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit and traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations and Inuit, Inuit and Métis people. The territory is within the lands protected by the Dish with One Spoon Wampum Belt Covenant, an agreement between the Haudenosaunee and the Anishinaabe and Allied Nations to peacefully share and care for the resources around the Great Lakes. This podcast is sponsored by Pivot 2020, a Canada-wide youth employment research project led by Youthful Cities and SFU Centre for Dialogue. So as we're all individuals that are passionate about environmental issues and we just want to see change in the City of Toronto. I'm happy to introduce our special guest for today's episode. She is the Toronto City Council for Ward 25, Scarborough Rouge Park, representing over 100,000 constituents in the city's most eastern riding. Before being elected in 2018, she worked as a professional geoscientist and managed research partnerships at the Nuclear Waste Management Organization and the Canadian Institute for Advanced Research. Her own graduate and postgraduate research were supported by numerous provincial, national and international awards, including the prestigious Laurier UNESCO Women in Science Fellowship. At the moment, she has been designated as Mayor John Tory's Environment and Resilience Champion, and in that capacity has taken an active role in the City of Toronto's climate change, resilience and ravine strategies. So let's welcome Councillor McKelvey onto our podcast. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and the kind introduction. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us uh, once again. And uh, we're definitely excited to have you on board and to talk about how young people can stay involved with climate resilience and civic engagement in the city of Toronto. So before we get started, we would love to hear a little bit about um, yourself and just how you know it was growing up in Toronto. Well, I grew up on the Scarborough border at uh, Victoria Park in Lawrence, and I did grow up in uh, an apartment building like most Scarborough, pe most Scarborough uh, youngsters, and uh, I was very lucky to have a ravine system uh, not too far from my building, so I spent a lot of time outdoors in the summer on my bike and walking, and uh, I always knew that uh, I wanted to be involved in environmental issues, and then I uh, did my bachelor's in environmental science at uh, University Scarborough campus, and then again, loved it so much that I made it uh, a career getting my, my PhD in it, and then doing research before I changed things over and, you know, hung up the the lab coat and the field boots uh, for uh, you know power power suit and heels here at City Hall. Well, that's awesome. 
feel like I hearing your background is just really intriguing to me because um, hearing about like how you worked at the nuclear waste management organization is really awesome. I got the chance to actually hear from somebody when I was at school about their work and how they're trying to manage that. And I guess I'm just curious, like, how did you, um, you know, make that transition from, you know, that science background to deciding you wanted to run for counselor and, and, and be a um, civil servant? Well, my my PhD research was was cleaning up oil and gas contamination and largely from leaking underground storage tanks of gasoline, uh, as well as oil refining. And with all those spills, you just start to think, well, you know, can we can we not do better like we need to we need to get off this this messy fuel source and then my research following that was again with nuclear waste and while it is emission free it does leave uh, carbon emission free it does leave a toxic product that we're we're left with dealing for essentially indefinitely forever um, and so you know just just thinking about moving forward it was about time that i thought i should cross over to the policy side so that we could really start to look at how we can have clean energy and a cleaner brighter future for everybody yeah that's really interesting because i know sagrika she's a policy student and i'm thinking about going to climate policy and i was never really sure what route would be um the right one to take but i guess like going to politics was was that way for you and have you found that to be effective and the things that you've got to do at city hall well it what's interesting about this call and sorry you cut out a little bit so so i hope i caught everything that you said there um is that i'm with guests that are you know a scientist a policy expert and uh, a law student so like it's really the best of all three coming together to talk about a very um important topic and i have a lot of faith in in the next generation with uh, folks like yourselves uh you know carrying on these important conversations and taking action that being said, um, we were really um, putting our focus on youth and what the youth can do um, in Toronto. And we were just wondering how you think Torontonians can become engaged in their own communities, you know, all throughout Toronto um, and made aware of the efforts surrounding the climate and um, environmental relief. Like, what do you think some ways um, people can do that? Well, I think you're taking a, right, a step in the right direction on this today because it is the first and most important thing we really need broadly is awareness. And in that awareness, even, even as somebody that was a, an environmental scientist for 20 plus years, I'm still continually learning. And, and when I came to the city of Toronto, it was really surprising for me to find out that if you break down our carbon emissions, there's 52% from buildings, 38% from transportation, and 10% from food. And I think we all get stuck thinking about transit and you know vehicles, single-use single vehicles as being the big culprit, but really there's, there's a whole variety of problems that are there. So um, for, for residents, just to start to think about, you know, a good example is, is food and food waste and just how important it is um, to not be wasteful. Um, when you're wasting and that food rots, it, it releases emissions. And of course, associated with agriculture as a whole, whole but it, it's very intensive. It uses lots of fertilizers um, that those also often release methane. Um, so, you know, being mindful about, you know, it seems simple, but really being mindful about your food, where you get it from. Um, and, uh, you know, coming from all over the world as well, there's carbon emissions on that. So, so, I mean, that's a very simple thing, but I pointed out because I was really surprised to find out that 10% of our greenhouse gas emissions in the city of Toronto are from food waste. Um, and another example is, you know, transportation. I mean, we all know about carpool and doing what we can to get down emissions, but I think we don't think about homes. Um, and so something that's really interesting is that the city of Toronto just launched something called Better Homes TO. 
And the reason why it's fantastic is it's really a one-stop shop for all the different things that you can do to make your home more efficient uh, so that you're burning less uh, fossil fuels in your home and, and really doing your part to combat climate change. So I think you need to kind of look at it as those three buckets of things that, that happen in, in daily life, right? How we use our buildings and live in our buildings, how we get around and, and what we eat. That is really interesting, yeah, because I, I, I remember hearing that, um, you know, the two largest emitters is usually residential and transportation, but um, when you hear that 10% for food waste, that's just something that's very tangible for like every resident to kind of tackle in their own means. It's just really interesting that there's so many programs in place like Better Home TO, and then we also, doing our research before um, this podcast, we learned of something called Transform TO, and we were wondering whether you knew more about that and like any upcoming news with that, especially during the pandemic, a lot of... Um, projects have slowed down for various reasons, but like, just curious of where that trajectory is going. Well, I'm really excited you asked about Transform TO. It's one of my favorite topics and programs at the City of Toronto. Uh, so last year, the City of Toronto joined over 800 other municipalities in 16 countries in declaring a climate emergency and saying that we want it to be net zero by 2050. So, you know, fossil fuel free by 2050 is the goal. And Toronto really has been a leader. And I think we don't celebrate or talk about that enough. So I'm going to pat us on the, on the back first by saying that we did achieve our target of a 30% reduction in greenhouse gas levels from 1990 levels in last year, uh, this year, we met that that commitment um, by 2020. Um, and so now that we're net zero, we're looking at how to advance those plans and recognizing that we need to do more faster. And so next year, there will be a report that will come out to council about the net zero plan. And this is going to be an opportunity for youth to, to give deputation, speak up, have your say, and say if you think we're being ambitious enough, um, because really it is your future that we are trying to protect here. And so I think you have an important role in us accountable for that. But I do want to give you some of the examples of things that we've done with Transform TO. So, um, and again, I think this is celebrating the action that Toronto already has. So the city of Toronto now has 60 fully electric buses, and that makes us North America's largest green fleet. And that's something I don't think we celebrate enough, is that in North America, we now have the most number of electric buses. Um, we also completed our first solar energy and storage project at a Toronto paramedic station. And so we're working through retrofitting our existing buildings. And this one has 20 solar panels, two Tesla power walls, and it's reducing its energy consumption by 30%. So we're looking at how we can go back and retrofit the existing buildings. Um, we're also now, um, last year we passed a motion saying that all new buildings that are built by the city, city facilities, need to be net zero. And that's really exciting. So we're working on an 18,000 square foot childcare center in Mount De Dennis. And in my community of Scarborough Rouge Park, we just made a design change for a new community center to make sure that is going to be net zero. So we will be breaking ground on this community center that has a pool, a childcare center, a gym, and it's all going to be, uh, you know, net zero emissions, which is really, really exciting. And then the last thing I want to kind of highlight is another uh, step in the right direction because again we're talking there about buildings if we talk about transit in my community another exciting thing is we're gonna have a micro transit pilot so it's gonna be a fully automated electric 
you know, emission-free shuttle that will pick people up from their homes and it'll bring them to the GO station nearby. So it's trying to get people to stop driving that short distance, but get onto, um, you know, a public transit uh, shuttle instead. So I think we're doing a lot of great things, but we have to do more faster. And I need all of you to come out to City Hall next year and tell us how we're doing and make sure we're accountable. Oh my God, that, that sounds incredible. The fact that you want to create a shuttle that will, I think that will solve a lot of problems, including the parking rage that takes place every single morning. Oh my goodness, that's, that's great. That's, wow, that's ex extremely great work. <laughs> it, is, it is exciting and it is a pilot. So we're hoping that if it's successful, we can have more. And I think that definitely is the future of mobility into the city is trying to not just be relying on these big vehicles, but really these smaller vehicles that, so that we can encourage people to, to leave their car behind. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, something that I wanted to, to ask you, and of course you'd have a lot more knowledge in this, but um, Toronto like has a goal of net zero emissions by 2050. And I was gonna ask if you think it's feasible that this happens by that deadline. And you just spoke about a, a bunch of great projects that are going on, but you being someone on the inside, do you, do you see this being like a feasible target? Um, I've done some like research into the Atmospheric Fund, which is like the NGO that's closely partnered with the city of Toronto. And they show that every single year that emissions do go down, but by a few percents here and there. And I'm just curious, like uh, you being someone who knows more about this topic, do you think that we're on the right track? I do think we're on the right track. And in fact, I will give you um, some insight information that the report is also supposed to give us information about if we could get there by 2040. Um, so can we even do it faster, right? So again, I think we need to, to, to look at that, um, but 2050 is the, the goal, but we'd like to do it faster if we can. Um, there, it is interesting because there was a report that came out from a, a group called FEEM, F-E-E-M, and it was looking at, at how countries can, can become net zero by 2050. And they lay this roadmap that you can look through and read about. And what's interesting is they point out the two things that are going to be the hardest for us to change are, are airlines. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, certainly during COVID, we've seen a shift in the way that we're using airlines, we're using them less. And the other is heavy duty construction vehicles. And that's just because it's very hard to design uh, electric uh, batteries to generate that much power. So we have to remember the whole reason why we went with gasoline in the first place was it had a, a lot of power packed into a small, um, a small amount of space that had a high, high thermal index and uh, burn um, associated with it, and it was a portable fuel. So I think there's some technology that needs to be developed for these heavy duty vehicles. But I think there is a lot of technology that's already out there for everything else. So we already have solar panels and those are getting more and more efficient every day. The electric battery has been a huge bottleneck, right? That has happened and how can we get vehicles and things like um, Formula E where they're making race cars that can use electric batteries. That is spawning this innovation um, that we'll be able to use for, for personal vehicles. So the, I think our, our limitation is not technology at this point, it's uptake. And so it's about changing hearts and minds so that we can have everybody adopting these new technologies and rolling them out even faster than before. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear about because speaking awesome. to that, yeah, it's just that's really interesting though because speaking to people with similar backgrounds to you in, in certain senses, they all say that, you know, the research is there, the tools are there. It's more about getting consumers to, um, you know, grasp that. And often it comes down to that bottom line of if people are willing to pay more for something that may cost more, but maybe more 
like efficient and do you find that to be the problem that you know it's difficult to convince uh consumers to to be more green because it may cost more be more inconvenient for them well absolutely and i think though you mentioned the toronto atmospheric fund um in in your remarks earlier and it's interesting because they do loan programs um, to help some of the big buildings retrofit and the buildings will actually save money and energy in the long term so they have this upfront capital cost but they do have that long-term savings where it actually can be cheaper for them to adopt this new green technology but they don't have the amount of money so they need loans so things like loans will make a big difference to help um, people to adopt these technologies they do save them in the long run by having lower heating bills. Um, but uh, you know, it's hard to always make that investment up front and we need to recognize that. Of course, yeah. It's all about accessibility to all of these, um, these technologies that are out there. So yeah, that's interesting. I think even on a surface level, um, we actually made a podcast previous to this one. And um, the whole point of that one was talking about um, environmental, like how to deal with um, climate anxiety and just ways to combat that um, for youth and how we can move forward from it. And um, one of the things that we were all discussing was the mentality shift as well, where it's about everything is available to us and, you know, people are hard at work working towards figuring out ways for it to be available to us, but it comes down to, do we want to make that shift and do consumers want to put that pressure on government and put pressure in general to move forward and create that change. So it's funny that you bring that up because it's something that we were passionately discussing just a little while ago. <laughs> No, absolutely. So there is a program called the Home Energy Loan Program. So that's at individual level in their homes. But, but I mean, I think climate anxiety and, and fatigue, I, it, it is real. And I think it's overwhelming. So um, what I do like about Better Homes TO is that it, it breaks down, you know, how you can do things in baby steps. And that's the way we need to think. Let's just, you know, focus on the next advancement that you need to do as an individual. And then once you've met, you know, maybe it's reducing your, your food waste. And then once you've done that, you can move on to the next thing. But when you start to to address it all at once, it can become very overwhelming. And that's not helpful. We really need to, to make, um, we need people to be able to celebrate their success that they're taking at each step and really celebrate that as, a, as opposed to becoming overwhelmed, huge global program, a problem, right? It can be very overwhelming. So just think about as an individual, what's the next thing you can do? I love how you brought that topic because um, for one, I don't have a science background and you know hearing these stuff uh, I, I tend to sort of stay stay back because I feel like I may not have something to offer because oh there's so many experts in this field and uh, I just feel like they have it in control but I like what you said we could all take small steps for the future so for the next generation uh, the next generation of youths well if they wanted to contribute to our community um, what kind of steps do you think they could take as students um, maybe they're not in environmental backgrounds or science backgrounds but for those who do want to have some sort of civic engagement uh, i personally uh, had that experience through political campaigning uh, so talking with folks uh, at the door canvassing like hearing what they have to say but given the whole pandemic that's not really feasible so uh, what would you suggest for the future generations 
Well, the first step is becoming informed, but not getting anxiety about it, right? So, so really just thinking about what is that next action that you can take. Um, there are organizations like the Toronto Environmental Alliance, you know, so, um, you know, a lot of programs are finding ways to, to volunteer more virtually as well. So you can always look into things like that. Um, you mentioned a good one, which is, you know, getting involved in, in campaigns for um, for people that support climate action. Um, but then there's also things like there are internships and jobs, right? So watch for those opportunities as well. And for example, the city of Toronto has, uh, we have our ravine strategy, which is looking at protecting those green spaces that we've, we've really not valued as much as we can. Um, paid summer internship type positions for, for youth to be able to do some of the invasive species cleanup, be outside. Um, so in doing that kind of work in the parks. So I think there's lots of different opportunities and COVID does make it hard, but we just have to be a little bit more creative. Fair enough. Yeah, we actually uh, were wondering, um, based on the commitments that council had made in regards to Transform TO, coming back to that, um, what would your take be on creating low carbon jobs um, that support decent work agenda and the expansion of the green industry um, sectors across Toronto in terms of post-COVID world? <laughs> so we just released at the City of Toronto the um, the, the Toronto Office of Recovery and Restart um, put out the recommendations. And again, it's one of those things where it's very overwhelming. There's 82 recommendations. Um, but it does talk about putting a climate lens and a resilience lens into, into what uh, we're doing, right, in our recovery. And in the city of Toronto, we really, we are... We have a responsibility as Canada's largest municipality. We have a responsibility to lead. And part of that is that we can take on some of some more risk than smaller communities. So a good example is we did purchase those 60 electric buses and they're from three different manufacturers and we'll be testing how those operate in winter. And so then through that information, we'll be able to know which manufacturer is best in the Canadian winter. And then across the country, they'll have that data available to them. So the city of Toronto definitely has to take that responsibility seriously. We have to share that information widely. As we start to make investments um, in recovery and restart, a lot of that funding is going to come from the provincial and the federal governments. And so certainly we've seen the federal government has a strong commitment to that. They've just made a net zero announcement. Um, our new uh, finance minister is very interested in green jobs. So a lot of that is going to percolate down to the city of Toronto. And as a city, we have to be ready to seize those opportunities to grow the green sector and employ the next generation of leaders like yourselves in that work. Awesome. Uh, any final words, uh, Sagarika and Kristen? I guess just like one last question came to mind and it was you mentioned before that for you know change to be seen and for young people to get involved that like going to council or going to uh, the deputy would like create some sort of like motion right there. Do you have any like um, tips like of yourself of like how a young person would go about doing that like if someone had never experienced doing that kind of work like I personally have never done that but just you saying that kind of creates some sort of like stimulation in me that I'd like to try but I just don't really know where to begin I guess. Well, um, there are, all of our agendas are publicly available. If you just Google TMMIS, so TMMIS, um, and go to the meeting portal, and then you'll be able to find the meetings as they come up. And so, for example, when the net zero report comes, you could pull it up on the agenda. There's a 
button on the top right corner, it would say request to speak or request to submit written submission. And so if you want to speak on a topic, you would have five minutes and then the counselors will ask questions and it's a good opportunity for have your say. My favorite deputations are say at City Hall are from young, young students. Um, they always say something that's a little bit different than everybody else. Um, it's certainly more hopeful, which is something that I very much enjoy and like is that uh, that um, you know the the slant of that we can do this, people. Um, we just need to work hard at it, and so we need that energy. I used to always kid around that you know when I was when I was young, you know I wanted to save the world, and now most days I just want to survive it. So we need your we need your energy at the table. Awesome. <laughs> I think tying in with that, before we wrap up, um, all three of us were actually wondering this: if you could go back in time, maybe into your mid twenties or early twenties. What would you do differently? Not that you regret anything, but what would you do differently? Uh, wow, so my 20s are a blur. Um, so when I was in my 20s, I was doing grad school. Um, I had two children, um, I got married. It was very, very busy. Um, but I think I, I really rushed my 20s. Um, so if I, I could go back, maybe I would take a little bit more time. Um, you know, maybe take vacation, um, maybe, you know, take a, an, a month off somewhere in there to, to, to just, you know, enjoy, enjoy life, enjoy my family. Um, I think we're all in a rush um, and sometimes we don't need to be. Wow. I think that probably resonates the most out of um, a lot of things that were said today to our listeners because a lot of listeners will be in their 20s and just, I don't know, feel some sort of relief that like somebody in your, um, in your position would also look back and say, you know what, you can breathe and it's okay if right now it's hard to find work, it's hard to find opportunity um, to just kind of relax and enjoy your 20s. So yeah, thank you so much for saying that. Agree oh, for sure. Hopefully some of, some, someone out there takes that advice. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day to speak to all of us and to all of our listeners. We learned a lot about the change that can be made in our home city. And if you're interested in learning about the counselor's work and how you can get involved in the city of Toronto, please follow her on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Jennifer McKelvey. Um, any other final words? Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here to talk about this important topic.